0: I don't think I'm surprised we knew this was going to happen. Like we knew yeah. the court was going to do this. We knew it was stacked. In Even a way that- though
1: all of the Supreme court justices appointed by Trump lied under oath and said they considered this to be settled law and would not challenge it.
0: <laughs> like oh. they weren't lying that it settled law, but then a new case came before them.
1: Uh, ah, yeah, 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 Now it's unsettled.
0: And now it's unsettled. <laughs> I don't know. But nonetheless, that's right. But nonetheless.
1: Welcome to episode 231 of Pup Theology Live, a weekly conversation on life and faith over a craft brew pint, a fine wine, or whatever happens to be in your glass. On today's episode, the Reverend Shannon Weston and myself, yours truly, Brian Berkoff, will address and engage what's happening through a theological lens with a good brew in hand.
0: So whether you're a longtime listener or new to the show, Did you know that you can get even more content, just what you always wanted? Starting at $7 a month, you'll get access to our pre- and post-show banter, where you find out what's really going on in our life, uh, or what we really think about things. (laughs) About Theology Live pint glass that looks like this, for those of you on Facebook right now, and more. Sign up at patreon.com slash ptlive. This week, we'll be discussing Roe versus Wade, Defending Pro-Life, and more. And before we get into what we're drinking, we just want to um, say that our dear friend and colleague Ogan is not with us today, as his um, his father died yesterday. So our prayers are with him and his family um, as they go through this time and this um, period of mourning, His grief continues for a longer time than we give it. Um, and we haven't been around the last two weeks because Brian, you also had a death. Your father-in-law died um, in your family, and we just um, So we welcome us back, but we also hold these griefs with us as we move forward. Um, But hopefully, Ogan will be back in the next few weeks, and we'll all be together again before we break for the summer.
1: That's right. (laughs) Just in time. That's right.
0: So, Brian, what are you drinking today?
1: Well, so in the wake of a family loss, uh, people have been bringing us meals from church. And last week on Cinco de Mayo, someone brought us this awesome uh, taco spread, and they also brought some dosekis. So I'm just going simple today. Going with the little dosekis Dos and a little lime to add a little flavor.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I carried all the way back with me in my bag a special brew from uh, Scotland. This is um, called First World Problems, which is a Belgian IPA brewed in Scotland Ooh. from Stewart Brewing.
1: If it's no Scottish, it's crap.
0: Um, which is in Lonehead, which I don't know exactly where it is, but somewhere in Scotland. Um, so I haven't had this one yet. I had another, I had several um, Stewart brewing uh, while I was in Edinburgh, but um, there
1: awesome. it is. That we'll looks and sounds amazing.
0: I know. Right. Um, I had their lager while I was there at a lot of the pubs, they had it on tap and it was so good. So That's good. fantastic.
1: That's fantastic. Yeah, so we missed you while you were gone and glad you're back safely and bring us uh, hopefully some Scottish wisdom uh, and anything yeah. else uh, you gathered I along was, the way.
0: So I was in Scotland for two weeks. We toured a little bit and then I, I spent a week at the um, Abbey, the Iona Abbey and met people from all across Europe. So it was a really great week. Really exciting.
1: All right, you got to give me a reaction to this taste cuz that looks darker than I expected.
0: It is darker. It's almost like a a double, like it's a Yeah, right. Um it's actually it's almost like a triple to be honest, the way it tastes. I'm trying to see if there's a Oh, here we go. Here's an here's a description. Assertive bitterness from the new world hops with subtle fruit esters from the Belgian yeast, all beautifully balanced. And an addition of malted rye, with ah, an addition yeah, of malted yeah. rye. So oh. I would, yeah, that's uh, that's accurate. But it, I actually would put it to Belgian LPA, but I'd put it more like a triple.
1: Yeah, a yeah, triple. that malty uh, rye gives it that sort of deep golden brown kind of hue. I yeah, think.
0: this is a this is a good
1: one. So awesome. if you ever have
0: a chance, Stuart Brewing. Mm.
1: On to today's topics. Well, fantastic. And a good beer from Scotland sounds like good news. And some people respond to good news with praise God or praise the Lord. Praise the Lord.
0: <laughs> praise him.
1: So Shannon, is this a glib use of religious <laughs> sentiment? Or do you think this is really sort of a heartfelt statement rooted in faith when someone gives this? Like, what's your reaction?
0: Um, <laughs> It's not one I use a lot. Um. And I think to be honest, if I use, I think we use praise Jesus, like, but almost in jest. Yes. Um so in order to enter the United States, you have to have a negative COVID test. And so when I got my results, I mean, when I got my results, like Derek's response was praise Jesus. Yeah. And it was so like <laughs> yes. it was so surprising to me. Not that he was happy, that wasn't surprising to me, but it was just almost um.
1: It, it, yeah, it's almost used in that sort of ironic or slightly sarcastic sense, right?
0: Exactly. Um, and I always kind of hear it. I don't know where this came from, but I hear it almost as people say, praise Jeebus. like <laughs> They write J-E-B-U-S. Have you seen that?
1: Um, I, I mean, I've heard that. I don't know that, where what, that
0: came from. Yeah.
1: What is that from?
0: I don't know. Let me see if I can look that up. What yeah. about you? When like, Jesus. I hear... Now people will use it at at church, like oh, yeah. somebody's cancer came back. Like praise the Lord, and I think that is genuine. Yep, I think this is we're more talking about like outside, like texting and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, and I, I think in a church setting or a worship service, you know, sharing setting of prayer requests or whatever, that that's normal and and maybe expected even. But I think it's sort of the when it's used in that sort of conversational like every other response to something that's exciting is praise the Lord. Or, you know, then it starts to feel like religiosity to me. You know what I mean? Like it starts to feel like syrupy, sticky in a kind of a gross way. Uh, Yeah. Right. I don't know. Maybe that's just me, but.
0: No, no, no. I, so apparently Jeebus. Okay. So this is the (laughs) official. There's a, it's in the dictionary, by the way. A humorous respelling of the name of Jesus, often used as an exclamation expressing irritation, dismay, or surprise.
1: Oh. So it's a so, way to take a, the, the Lord's name in vain without doing
0: without it. it. And it and it is almost mockingly done, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah um, yes. and then there's a Simpsons clip. So, you know.
1: Right, right. The, that the makes Simpsons. sense. I can see that right. sort of being a, a a platform that would launch it into the vernacular.
0: Yeah, exactly. So uh, my husband's going to be upset that I didn't know that. Um, <laughs> and now that you back. say
1: it, it's like, oh yeah, duh.
0: Right. Of course. Right. Of course it is. How are you doing? Peace be with you. Praise Jeebus. So.
1: I am going to have to praise Jesus uh, during my disc golf round this afternoon when I make a good shot. Praise Jeebus. Did I, I said it Praise wrong. Jeebus.
0: Yeah, yeah. Praise Jeebus. You know what my favorite though, my favorite like kind of curses, and this isn't part of the question, um, but. And I've heard other people do it too, but one of my best friends Lav always like when they trip or you know say something they're like they their exclamation is Jesus wept, like Jesus wept. And oh, wow. it cracks me up. And I have not heard that.
1: I've not heard that.
0: I hadn't until they did it. And then like I've heard other people do it since then. <laughs> and I'm just like, what a strange, like, what a strange exclamation like you stubbed your toe jesus wept like it's just the funniest thing i've ever heard
1: that is funny i i might say jesus something else in that situation right
0: exactly (laughs) jesus wept
1: (gasps) that is so interesting oh my gosh so are there are there any other sort of uh, religious sort of responses like that that come to mind that that you either like or don't like
0: um i'm sure there are um The the one that I, it it depends on the person, but when people say, you know, it's almost, it's overused, right? When they say God is good. Um, Yes. It's like, I know there's certain people that the intention behind it is so good and genuine that I can get over the phrase. But then other people, and I'm just like, you know, I also feel like love and light gets overused.
1: Ooh. Love and light. Yeah. And is that like the progressive Christian version of I like so. thoughts and prayers or praise Jesus? Yes.
0: I think so. And yeah. I'm a person that used to use it all the time.
1: Love like and I'm sending light. you
0: love and light and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just now I'm like, Meh. like, mm. yeah. I don't
1: know. Yeah, and you know, one of the interesting things, um, so going through this process of my father-in-law dying, and you know, you have the family visits, we have multiple family visitations and the funeral itself. And and so you see a lot of people who are extending their condolences, but the you know, you get all the statements that are like awkward or sort of inappropriate, or things you've said, but then when you're on the other side of it and you're yeah. in the place of grieving, it feels like I don't. Nothing is enough. So I mean, everyone's doing their best, and it's you know, it's all good. But you you hear it in a totally new way when people say offer things and are trying to express their condolences in a setting yeah. like that. So I, I can't think of anyone in particular, but just that experience of of realizing, yeah, that feels pretty hollow, <laughs> even though you mean well. Yeah, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, like I mean, I think a lot of these things really do come down to a relationship. Yeah. And, you know, if you if you have a very solid, very trustworthy relationship ahead of time, it really doesn't matter what you say. They're going to understand what's behind it, yes. you know, or you're able to be like, OK, you know, they said this dumb thing, but I know like I I know it was heartfelt. I know it was real. That's but, right. you know, then there's other that like it was just his time. And you're like, you know, um, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. Or he's right. up, he's up working the fields of heaven or, or whatever, you know, that's when you want to say praise Jebus or.
0: Praise you right. like <laughs>
1: Or Jesus yeah. wept.
0: Jesus wept. <laughs> I mean, and, and actually it's very fitting that you would say that because Jesus wept it like that scripture comes from Lazarus's, yeah. you know, and like, even though Jesus knows like he's about to raise Lazarus, he sits down and weeps because everybody's so sad. Yeah. There's so much grief. Like, I, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. It's more amusing to me than anything else. But mm-hmm. um I'm trying yeah. to think there was um I'm trying to think what is really So again, like it's not so much the exact response. There's no right thing to say as much as there's there's a heartfeltness in relationship, you know. Yeah. Um Absolutely. one of the things my sister said after my grandmother died, which I thought was really beautiful. And I've kind of held on to, um, and she was talking about my my grandmother um, died last year and um, she, had, my grandmother had lost two children. I have, I have two aunt and uncles, uh, an aunt and an uncle that have died uh, before she did. And my sister just said, you know, if heaven brings reunion, I hope that they're together. And I thought, what a beautiful way of putting it, mm. That is not certainty, you know. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. But that
0: is leaves it um, leaves you with this beautiful picture, without saying this is what's happening right now. To which your immediate response is, you have no way of knowing that.
1: You yes, know? exactly right. I I think that's a, that's beautifully done because it 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 gives you, as you said, that beautiful hopeful image that we all long to be true but that none of us knows and and somehow when someone says it as a declaration that like they know for sure or we all know for sure it sort of right. loses some of that power and, and mystery and hopefulness
0: yeah yeah and and so it's really left an impression on me of like if right like if this is what happens I hope that yeah I hope that this beautiful picture is being painted yeah um but anyway but that's just
1: yeah no i like that yeah so, so. what so while you were gone <laughs> things happened yeah. here in the u.s
0: <laughs> Ugh, God like so i do need to say one of the things that happened in the u.s i made Derek this playlist because that's one of the ways that like we connected a long time ago is i made we would make each other playlists because you know back in the day yeah and um even though it was a more re- recent back in the day but it was still nonetheless and um so I made him a playlist of me going just as an homage of like, you know, here you go. But I I named it when she's gone after Ain't No Sunshine When She's Gone, you yeah. know. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone. And there was literally not sunshine here for two weeks. And I had the best weather in Scotland. Oh, I'm
1: so glad. I'm so glad. Oh
0: my gosh. It was the best weather. And then literally the sun was like came out when we landed in. United States, and it's been out ever since.
1: Perfect. Look at that. No,
0: I, I just have to joke that no matter what went on in the United States, the sun followed me wherever I went. So I'm hoping now that I'm back, something good will come out of
1: this. Yeah, and <laughs> this. Bill Withers was never more on point.
0: Exactly. <laughs> 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 Ugh, wow. Argue. Well,
1: it it was cloudy uh, in the weather and in the political happenings. Yeah. It, yeah. It yeah. Was, leaked that the supreme court plans to overturn roe versus wade this summer and there have been a number of polls interestingly in recent days that not only show that a majority of americans think abortion should remain legal but also that most u.s religions support this and the one exception to supporting legal abortion is surprise white evangelicalism yeah and so I guess the question for us to reflect on why is this such a big issue for white evangelicals, especially when considered in contrast with other aspects of the Christian faith, let alone people of other religious traditions?
0: Yeah. Um, what did I what did I read? So I read this years ago, and it has been one of the most helpful things to understand is that when Roe v. Wade went through in 1972, the evangelical movement was for it supported it. They supported it. Yep. Yeah. It was giving health care to women that needed it. Mm-hmm. Um, It was a very positive thing. It was actually going to save lives and, you know, all of these things. And then in the late seventies, as they were building up, it was after the ERA, the um, equal rights amendment, yep. um, that the women that were against the equal rights amendment teamed up with um, an evangelical movement and a and a Catholic movement. And not that I'm blaming the Catholics for this, but that that what happened as Reagan came into power, this was when the shift happened, late 70s, early 80s, that it became about abortion because that was a way to get that was a way to unite the evangelicals. And it has its roots in racism. Like the story of it has its roots in racism. Yes, because segregation
1: Um, was no longer a viable political issue to sort of bank on. And it was sort of a pivot. It was a pivot. Yep.
0: And the evangelicals needed something to unite behind. Yep. And they no longer had segregation as a cover to unite them. Yep. And so they chose this. And, and, And it's shocking to me. So while I was in Scotland, I was with. Um, people from England, people from Sweden, people from the Netherlands. And one of the women from the Netherlands was a midwife. Yeah. And we got this news and we were all talking about it. And they were all um, saying to me that like, from their view, the the US is like obsessed with this. Yeah. And I was like, well, you're not wrong. Like right. we are obsessed with this. And to them- in their countries, this is like not a it's a non issue. Yes. And in fact, in Sweden, this was interesting. Um, I made friends with a a Swedish um minister, and she was saying that the people who it is an issue for are the like the Nazi party, basically. Oh my and gosh. That's who's talking about this. Oh boy which of course they don't call themselves Nazis anymore. They call themselves something else, but like, that's basically what they are. And I was like, that's so telling. (laughs) That's so telling. No.
1: And I I believe it's true that the Netherlands and Sweden are both in the top five for lowest abortion rates in the world. Right. Because when it's a non-issue. Right. But also they provide national health care. They support Mm -hmm. women in all aspects of life. And they support early childhood and education and all the things that we don't do very well in this country.
0: So she was saying as a midwife in the Netherlands, one of the things that they do is that not only do you have a midwife at your birth and all of that, like through the national healthcare system, a midwife comes to your house Hmm. for the first two weeks after birth, like all day and helps you. And I'm like, what? (laughs)
1: That's like, awesome.
0: That's so awesome. This is the craziest. And she also, um, she does work for Doctors Without Borders. So she's done midwifery in Pakistan and Haiti and all of these other places. And she's like, there is nothing like the United States with this topic. You yeah. Know? They,
1: they send, they send us home or I should say they send the women home and are like, good luck, figure it out.
0: Yeah. After. And she said, you know, the hospital stays are lower because They they get all this help at home. But Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but I mean, you know, I don't think I'm surprised. We knew this was gonna happen. Like we knew the court was gonna do this. We knew it was stacked in. Even though
1: all of the Supreme Court justices appointed by Trump lied under oath and said they considered this to be settled law and would not challenge it. No one believed that except Susan Collins.
0: I was gonna say, like nobody <laughs> believed that. We all knew what this is about. It's always but, about this.
1: But it's like it, there it is, blatant lying during your, you know. Well,
0: uh, so whatever. Okay, argue. I'm sorry. I'm playing Ogan at the moment. <laughs> like Ooh. they weren't lying that it settled law, but then a new case came before them.
1: Uh, ah, yeah, 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 Now it's unsettled.
0: And now it's unsettled. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I don't know how we. I don't know how we possibly slip back from this. And as to the topic of like most US li- religions support this, like our denomination is a huge statement. We've supported it yeah. for a very, very long time. I mean, 20 plus years,
1: Yeah.
0: which isn't as long as it should have been supported, but nonetheless.
1: But nonetheless, um, that's right.
0: But nonetheless. And it's very clear that like pushing a religious belief on someone else it is clearly wrong yes and there's no other way to view this than a religious belief Yep. because if you're looking at it from a science point of view like there's no question
1: um yeah i don't know i'm i saw this great post where someone said can a woman claim a fetus uh as a dependent on her tax return no because the government doesn't consider that to be a person right (laughs) Right. It's, not, it's not that complicated
0: it's really not and i mean i i you know somebody once said to me because i was pro like you know i was pro-choice before i had kids and then i had kids and somebody was like well clearly you've changed your mind and i was like actually i i if not i'm even more pro-choice because this yeah. is really hard yeah. like this is really um not just to carry children and you know what it did to my body and my emotional state and my whatever, but to raise children. and and again, like I what's so hypocritical about this topic is the fact that, like, as long as it's a fetus, everybody's like life, life, life. And then as the, soon as that baby's born, yeah. we don't provide health care. We don't provide education. We don't like we do not have a foster care system that is any good whatsoever. Um, the other thing I learned, so um, somebody else I met who was Scottish, had lived in the Netherlands for a long time and they were fostering. So there's this system where there were four kids, all siblings, and their family. Hold on. Sorry, their family had gone in and um, like they melded the families. And the kids had this house that the, these foster parents moved into and helped raise these kids alongside their kids. And the kids had funding and consistency of school and a whole community around them, helping them. And I was like, well, that's how you do it friends. Yeah. You know, they had relationships with their parents, even though they were complicated, all the kids had the same problems that we have, but like, they actually provided for what the children needed.
1: Imagine that.
0: Imagine that.
1: Yeah. And, you know, uh, there was an article in the LA Times uh, on this topic that came out um, last month. And my wife was interviewed fairly extensively in that. And she describes herself as pro-life, but in favor of legalized abortion. And I think that's some of what is missing in our conversation is that, you know, we just use and abuse that term pro-life and we end up supporting policies that are anything but, at least many of the people, if not most, who claim that moniker don't fail to do all the things you just said, that they don't provide early childhood, you know, support and education and support for women and healthcare and the funding that's needed to keep families out of poverty. Etc. Like they oppose all of those things and call themselves pro life, and the one thing they'll hang their head on is it's illegal to have an abortion. Which it's proven when that's illegal, it does not stop abortions.
0: Right? No, not at all. It it stops safe abortions, and none of this. Yes. None of this is new. None of what we're saying is new at all, at all, and you know the other side of all of this is nobody like everyone is pro-life everyone everyone is pro-life right in the terms of like life is sacred and life should be supported and and yes we're arguing and some people feel it's semantics but it's not semantics it's just not and on the other side of that, you know, like uh, there was a long time where there's a movement and I use this language, I found it helpful of like, there was pro-choice and there was anti-choice. Yeah. And that was actually a really helpful language to use, right? Those should be is, the
1: framing terms, because right. as, like you said, we are all pro-life. The question is, are you pro also pro-choice or are you anti-choice?
0: Mm-hmm. It's not pro-choice anti, or it's not pro-life anti-life, right? Like. Nobody's Mm anti-life. You know, it's, it's just, it's, we are pro choosing that a woman has a, a dominion over her body and can make the choices to her body just like men can on a regular basis.
1: Yes. And that feels like a thing that's not even hard to support scripturally.
0: No, it's not actually like, an 18 year old boy can walk into a doctor's office and say, I want a vasectomy. And the doctor might say, are you sure you're very young? Like blah, 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 blah. And he'll say, yeah, I don't want kids. I'll never want kids. Like, I don't need to justify that. And they'll say, okay, a woman walks in to get her tubes tied after she's had two children, you know, or whatever else. And they say, well, you're not married. Are you sure? Blah, 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 you know, whatever. And she's 26, 28 years old or something. And she said, I can't have more kids. Like I'm done. I'm whatever. And it's, it's just the most ridiculous system anyway. And it all falls back on like not believing women, not believing, not trusting women, believing women are somehow lesser than men. It's just, it's all so antiquated.
1: Yes, and what feels the most painful is when you have uh, women on the Supreme Court, or at least the most recent one appointed, who is in favor of overturning this. It just is painful. Yeah, And so uh, a friend of mine articulated something that in a way we've said in multiple ways, but I'll just read his quote. So he says, in response to the news about uh, Roe versus Wade, As I'm sorting through a lot of reactions to the Supreme Court news, I can't help but think that if you're a Christian who is rejoicing that Roe will be struck down, but you are not advocating for things like free and full prenatal care for all women, free neonatal care for all children, mandatory prenatal leave, a living or mandatory parental leave, a living wage, and access to free or at least affordable health care, then you need to check yourself on what you mean by saying you're pro life.
0: 100%.
1: Yeah. It's hard to argue with that.
0: Yeah, it is hard to argue with that, but I'm so grateful that there are male pastors saying it, right? Yeah. Like, and, and that's the truth is that, you know, when a woman, especially a woman pastor gets up and says this, or goes for a march or whatever, you know, again, we're, we're going back to all those things that we're still really in a place. We're still really in a place where we just don't, she's got other motives or she's, I don't know. Women are still hysterical somehow. Like we're in the 1800s and we get the vapors or something.
1: Oh.
0: Um, And it's still just really important that male pastors stand up and say this. Yeah. It just is.
1: Yeah. I hate it, but it is. And it, you know, like I'm trying to think of what someone would say who is, who does identify as pro-life, who does want Roe overturned. How would they respond to this? Do you think? Like, why would they say we shouldn't have these things? <laughs> it's hard to come up with reasons, but.
0: I mean, I, that's the thing. Like, this is this is honestly one of those stances that, like, I have been talking about this my whole life. Yeah. I mean, my whole life. And I really don't have, I don't know that there is a justification otherwise. I mean, is because... it that,
1: is it that um, it's just too much government Assistance, and it's too much of a socialist state, and you know people should just figure this out on their own.
0: I mean, one of the conversations that I had. So while I was away, I also saw a friend of mine who now lives in Glasgow, and she she was a pastor here in Baltimore, and she married a a man who was a pastor who was Scottish, and when they had children, they they served a couple of churches separately and then together, and. One of the conversations they had was like, okay, before the kids go to college, we need to move to Scotland so that, or at least two years before our oldest goes to college to establish residency. Because yeah, and they they have all kinds of issues with their government as well. But you've got national health care and you've got free college.
1: Free college. And oh, like, wow.
0: how can you argue with that? And in terms of what your values are. And what you believe in. Yeah. Um, and again, I'm not lifting them up as some universal, amazing society, but I'm saying when we're not willing to like put our money into a health a healthcare system and an education system, then we've we've really lost our value. And I think that's exactly where we've always been as a US. We've we've lost our value um we've set we've set a country up on those who have will always have i mean people point out that like all of these people making these decisions their wives and daughters will always have access to free and safe abortions
1: yeah. always yes ironically and sadly and hypocritically right it's yeah, the and- people
0: that it's the people that need the clinics and the sliding scales and don't have healthcare and whatever else that aren't able to, it does feel very much um, like we're moving into uh, shoot the handmaid's tale, you know, more and more often. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah, for sure. It does. And as you said, it doesn't, you know, when we look at how they're doing things in other places such as Europe, you know, it doesn't make Scotland or the Netherlands, you know, a utopia, Every society and government's going to have its shortcomings and its challenges, but at least get some of these basic things right. Right.
0: Well, so the Netherlands, we, we were asked, like, this is a big topic of conversation. And we asked, like, what happens in the Netherlands? They don't have a national healthcare system, but everyone has to have health insurance. Okay. And it's on a sliding scale of your income and whatever that you pay for it. And then they have to pay, they have a deductible system just like we do, but there's a max to that deductible system of what you pay every year. And it's like 350 euros.
1: So it fits within your means reasonably.
0: So it fits within your means reasonably, but even if you're at the top, like, or i mean, sorry, even if you're at the bottom, you're paying no more than $500 a year for health insurance.
1: So there is so even though it's maybe not fully nationalized, there's some subsidizing going on that's that equals the playing field.
0: Right, right. So, you know, all this money that these big um lob, you know, health insurance are lobbying, all that money they're spending in lobbying, maybe it could go to other things like, you know, providing more affordable health care. Yeah. I don't know. It's just a thought. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, just a thought. And then if you have more money you can buy more and more privatized insurance and you can go to specialists still and you can you know if you have the means to do that but at least everybody's starting from an even playing field. Yes. You know and they were like exactly. what happens if you need health insurance and you don't have any and I was like well then you you go back and back to the ER and you rack up these huge bills and yeah some charity hospitals will help you out with that but you get seen last. Yep. And you don't get adequate health care because you don't have the consistency of a doctor. And if you need cancer treatments, like, good luck with that. You know, it's yep. just and and they find that, especially as Christians in those countries, they find that appalling that we do not care for the least of these. At our basic levels, we do not care for the least of these.
1: No doubt. No doubt. And for a country that likes to be the loudest in saying we're a Christian nation, that's it's really shameful.
0: Yep, I agree.
1: So in a new uh, children's book uh, that's entitled Mother God, author Teresa Kim Pekanofsky portrays God as mother, relying on feminine and maternal imagery for God found in the Bible, and especially she finds um, moving the story of Hagar and Ishmael, and she states that it's important for people of all ages to see God as mother. And that seems, you know, to fit in with this conversation we're having uh, around abortion and all of that. Um, So do you agree with her assessment that we need to have more portrayal of God in this mothering way? And why might that be important?
0: I, I do agree. I love the story of Hagar and Ishmael. So like, I would be really curious about this book. Yeah. Um, I think it's really my daughter's going through our oldest daughter is going through confirmation and she uses father language in all of her like statements and all of her prayers and stuff. And I was really curious about that. And I started getting really um, down on myself. Like I had failed her somehow. (laughs) Mm, Right. But then I started thinking about, so, I never pushed inclusive language was not a hill. I was going to die on, if that makes sense. Sure. In a church, in an individual church. Yep. And I, we don't use as a, as a, like, I don't use male language from the pulpit, but that doesn't mean that people don't use male language and that I've necessarily corrected them through the years. Right. Um, or that we have a church-wide statement. And there are people that are critical of that that, you know, if we really want to call ourselves a progressive church, we would we would work on that. Um, but I don't know that anybody really when you got down to it would not would would argue with you that God was male. That God was a male, you know, or <laughs> like whatever.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so crude. To, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um But I don't know that we do as good of a job lifting up the moments where God is described as female, where female imagery is. um, We often talk about the women of scripture, but we don't often talk about um, the feminine side of God. I don't know that we do a great job of that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I would say I, at times, have sort of, like, balanced um male and female language for god um and now like especially when there were pronouns like i would sort of rotate between he and she yeah and now i'm tending to just remove the pronouns and just insert yeah i tend to remove them yeah um I mean, there's no perfect path, but I do think it's nice to sometimes intentionally use feminine language for sure for God. Yeah, because we have a history of so much of the other that clearly to create any kind of balance, we could go to all feminine language for God and do that for a couple decades. You know. Um,
0: well, and that that was the argument, right? Is that at least when I was in seminary, there was this like to neutralize God. Which I think is ultimately the the like God maybe, is neutral, right? God truer. is both. Yeah, truest. Like, and I don't actually mean neutral. Like, in fact, I think God as plural is the most honest form of describing God, yeah. right? That, um, and so I'll laugh and if I need a pronoun, I'll use they, which is scriptural in Genesis. You know that yep. um, we. Right, yeah. we created like let us
1: make humans. Let us
0: make image. yeah, and that doesn't mean and and again, God is trinitarian. Like they is a perfect descriptor. Mm-hmm. I also think it helps with gender equality issues, especially as we talk about pronouns with genders. To neutral, you know, to kind of talk about God as they helps understand um, a person whose pronouns are they, and at the same time, we didn't do a good job understanding the femininity of god or the feminine like qualities of god and so jumping there feels like we missed a step you know um and yet so i'll be really i don't know if i've said this on the show before and people may hate me for it like i get really i like i get really uncomfortable um with like womb imagery with god and Mm things like that which like is in a lot of is is a lot of people's attempts like as we enter the dark womb of 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 or the tomb and things like like people will talk about the tomb as like also a womb and i think they do that cuz it rhymes and <laughs> right. like, yes. props to you and all that so but like yeah and i i mean it's beautiful poetry and at the same time like for whatever reason and i think this is just me being uncomfortable reading that aloud to my church like that yeah. i i don't know like that somehow I, I don't know so again maybe it maybe that's actually helpful for a male pastor to say out loud i'm not sure yeah but you know there's imagery like that that i'm like oh that gets really messy and that's the point right the point is that it's messy yeah um you know but hagar is the first woman that ever names god like that ever right. like, um. Gives God an intimate name and like, she's so beautiful in that moment. And anyway, I just.
1: Yeah. And I, when, when I saw this story pointed out in the article about Hagar and Ishmael, I was trying to think of how God is seen as mothering in the story. It certainly features Hagar as mother, And maybe it's the things you named, like the intimacy she has with God, the way God is as concerned for her well-being and the child's well-being as a mother would be. And I maybe have forgotten whether there is any actual mothering language attributed to God there or not. I I can't remember offhand. I
0: I don't think there is. Um, I preached on this a while ago that I um, dug into that kind of stuff. And you would have remembered that, yeah. Yeah, but... But what I do think is helpful in that story is that the father in that story is not good,
1: <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, yeah, the
0: the father, and it's a very interesting. So you mean Father Abraham? Yeah. So father <laughs> Father Abraham, who had many children, um, many children had Father Abraham, which is a hard song to change to neutral language of children.
1: I am one, um, of them, and so are you.
0: I think we used to change it to kids to get the right like syllables in. And I was like, this is awful. Why are we doing this? Anyway,
1: we just said,
0: did you (laughs) back in the, back in the VBS day, back in the day. Yeah. Back when I did VBS, you know? Um, So, you know, Sarah wants to give Abraham a baby. There's this promise of your nation shall be more numerous than the stars. Yeah. Sarah can't get pregnant. God said, You will, I will give you a son. Sarah does not believe God. And she sends Abraham to procreate with her slave, Hagar. And Hagar gets pregnant and has Ishmael. Um, when Sarah finally does get pregnant, she casts, she beats Hagar.
1: Yeah, yeah. She kind of regrets that suggestion.
0: Right. She beats him, her, and sends them out, forces Abraham to send them out into the wilderness. Mm -hmm. So on one hand, you have this very evil mother in Sarah, and then who is, you know, this foundational figure of our faith. And then you also have Abraham, who is in this story at least, very cowardice towards very weak. very weak you yeah. know in in standing up for his firstborn child that we know of um and and cast them out very like it with a lot of sorrow in the story but doesn't have whatever he needs to do to stand up to sarah yeah. and cast them out and um hagar goes and they're they're basically um dying of thirst in the wilderness like there's no shelter there's no anything and she prays to god names god and god provides this well for them um to drink and have shelter and anyway all of these things and so i wonder if god in that like i wonder if there really is a view of god as mother in that in that like um like a like the way scripture talks about a mother will provide for her children you know right um but she uses male language to talk to God, but that isn't unusual. Like that's not surprising. Right. And Hagar is a slave woman from like we, she's assumed because of the way scripture describes her as a very dark woman. She's, you know, African. Um, So I don't think it would be out of the realm that she would see God as feminine either. Um, But she wasn't writing the story personally. So who knows what she actually what language she actually
1: used. <laughs> yeah, I know I could do a better job as pastor and and maybe dedicating some teaching around this or some just more structured conversation because i feel like my attempts of like oh now i'm going to change this pronoun to she and people are like wait what you know who aren't used to that like it can come across as sort of haphazard or jarring or they're not sure what's behind that um and i think it, it could be useful for our congregation's sake and my own personal sake to to do a little deeper look at this at how we portray god and and how why it matters the language and the pronouns and the genders we use to refer to God um an attempt just to to do better and to understand and embrace the the scriptural stories and imagery that is there the fullness of it which is not exclusively male and I think that's what this author is trying to bring out
0: yeah and I and I one of the things that I would push back on is that you don't have to invent this you Know you don't have to mm-hmm. just make all these pronouns for God female, there is plenty of feminine imagery for God in scripture, right? Um, because any imagery for God, including father language, is metaphor, right? Of and of course, we so anytime there's feminine imagery for God, it's also metaphor and yep. helping us understand that. But looking through it, um, looking like going through and using what's already there to build the foundation before you're just changing very famous scripture passages to feminine imagery, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, for example, I've, I've given the, you know, the famous Aaronic blessing at the end of a service and I'll say the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make her face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn her face toward you and give you peace, even though that's not how it is originally, but I feel like I, I like that like I, I, like well, to I'm, me it 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 i don't know i is that inappropriate or what's your response to that
0: no i don't think that's inappropriate i just think that we do have to back it up with understanding right yes, um correct and you know i i think ogan's tradition or the ucc like they do a lot more of that than we do and there's sure. no reason that we shouldn't be doing it in more mainline Christian traditions. Cause it yeah. is part of our scripture. It is part of our understanding. Yeah. We're not worshiping some sun, God, some goddess out there of ancient of old. Like this is, this is in scripture. This is right there for us. Yeah. um, Yes. There's plenty of imagery um uh, yeah. there for God as, as mother. I mean, the wisdom Sophia was there in the beginning with God, you know, yeah. any, any of that language is helpful. Like that is seen as what we now know as the Holy spirit. Holy spirit is always referred to as she, yep. um, for that very reason, because it's yeah. Sophia wisdom, you know, that's in right. scripture. So just understanding that, you know, basically if you want to look at it, God is, God is the they in the Trinity. Jesus is the, he and the script and the Holy spirit is the she, and there's, there's mm-hmm. all three combined in the Trinity. <laughs> God has no gender, or or is a sliding scale of gender.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: um, you know yeah. Jesus came as male for right. a reason and a place and time, and the yep. Holy Spirit was sent as as a feminine imagery. So yeah. you've got all three there together. I've yeah. always wanted to do a Mother's Day sermon on feminine imagery of God, Pentecost on Holy Spirit, and then, um, or or almost as like gender neutrality for God. And then father's day is like male imagery for God and why there are three important. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a stretch though. Like it's a weird.
1: Yeah. No, but I think that could work. I think that could work. But yeah, like this past Sunday was mother's day and I tend to not feature that during worship. Um, I, I I mean, there are times where I've done a little more with it, but this year we didn't really feature it other than me mentioning it at the beginning And then in prayer requests, you know, naming that this day is celebratory for many of us, but hard for many of us, too. And some of those reasons are X, Y, and Z, and you know.
0: Yeah. And I honestly, like, uh, skipped it altogether. So, you know, that's
1: also an option. Yes. Yeah. I don't know.
0: It feels made up. (laughs) Well, It's not. I understand the history of it. I understand it's Mm -hmm. God. It's like.
1: But it's not on the church calendar. And it's. No. And like,
0: you know, whatever.
1: Yeah. People as do as, as long as you're doing what you're doing intentionally and so on. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So in five minutes, we're going to respond to Kevin DeYoung, Pastor Kevin DeYoung, who says the man who attempts Christianity without the church shoots himself in the foot, shoots his children in the leg and shoots his grandchildren in <laughs> the heart. So that's what you get for trying to do Christianity without the church. Does that sound like a guy whose church you would want to attend?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I understand his sentiment. It's not language I would want to use. (laughs) Right. I mean, I I don't know how to say this out loud. Oh
1: my gosh. One,
0: I think... Using language where you're shooting people is never a good idea.
1: Yeah. Let alone I'll shooting your children and grandchildren.
0: Your grandchildren in the heart. Mm. <laughs> Awful. I
1: like this is okay. So for a little context, this is a guy who comes from uh Uber reformed conservative viewpoint. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think he's maybe a PCA pastor, or maybe that's not even conservative enough for him. And so this is out of the like two Sunday services, you know, a morning and evening service and you better show up to both or you're failing as a human being and especially as a parent. So this is meant to make people feel guilty about missing missing worship services. Well, that's my my sense.
0: I certainly wouldn't feel guilty about missing any of his worship services, but. uh, (laughs) So, I mean, this is that issue of like, we talk so beautifully about community and about, I mean, we had this discussion a few weeks ago where we argued that like doing church solely online wasn't enough. And Ogan was like, yes, it is. And here's why. And, and we disagree about that, but I also, we see each other's points and, you know, all of those wonderful things. And this is just a horrible, horrible, horrible way of saying that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yes. So you're right. The beautiful way we would agree with him is that the experience of faith that you have in a communal setting is richer, it's fuller, it, it allows you to experience more of what, you know, I believe God intends for us and what Jesus intended for uh, his followers to experience. Like to do that solo is much more difficult, if not impossible. I agree right. with all of that, but I wouldn't go around using this kind of language to say that
0: not at all. And what I, what I do also, again, in this horrible attempt, like, I also agree that there are generational consequences, but what I also agree in that is there are generational consequences to not like truly living your faith or to living a false faith or a hypocritical faith. Like my grandmother went to church every single day and none of her friends, like she didn't, what was important is that she showed up to church that she got her check mark. It wasn't that she lived right. into her faith. You know, that wasn't what was important.
1: And that's and what that a statement like this Yeah. And that's what a statement like this is trying to get someone to do check the box,
0: check the box. And we know that doesn't work. We know it never has. Yeah. And that it doesn't like, in fact, checking the box shoot your kids in the leg and you know whatever else <laughs> yeah. like does more harm than that good. horrible language right does more harm than good I, I mean but i don't know about your kids go to a christian school and they're in a different part of the country but like my daughter's friends don't then my kids' friends don't go to they don't go to church yeah like you know i mean in fact that's you know i think i've said it on the show they joke that like oh that's maggie she goes to church that's her thing right right, right, right. you know like, yeah and and my daughter likes to come to church, but like, yeah, I don't, I don't I don't think it's the fact that she goes to church that is gonna help her be a good person in the world. I think it's what she learns yep. at church and in the community that helps her be a good person in the world.
1: Right. Yep. But
0: Kevin DeYoung is uh well, people really want bites, don't they They i know it's
1: like well this you could tweet that and probably his circle retweets it and shares it on there as a meme and all that but it it comes from that tradition that i think i was raised in as well that's that is a more sterner um incarnation of the faith like it's just you know we try to get people to do what we think they should do not by being Invitational, not by being, right. you know, trusting people to make good decisions. Instead, we shame them and we guilt them into doing what we think they should do.
0: Exactly, and we've we've all known that that doesn't work in in ministry. And in fact, it's got us gotten us to where we are.
1: Yeah, which
0: I think is not a good place to be honest. And it doesn't um,
1: produce, I think, Christ like people who are loving, who are gentle, who are patient she kind of resent church if if this is what you're hearing exactly
0: exactly
1: yeah there you have it don't don't shoot your grandchildren in the heart so don't shoot your grandchildren in the heart that is the lesson
0: of this script or anyone else or in the leg or at all let's just not shoot people yes we all agree to not shoot people
1: let's just turn emotionally
0: Or physically.
1: Yes. Yes. Let's just turn guns into plowshares or something.
0: Guns into lawn chairs.
1: Let's do that. Oh, I like that. You know. That feels like a t-shirt. I'm here for you.
0: <laughs> so it was so it was actually um uh Chase, who Chase who is freaking Kitty Offer Chase who used to be the um directors of the stony Point Center. Their son thought that was the thing and they put it on t-shirts and blah 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 that they would turn Turn guns into lawn chairs.
1: <laughs> I love that so much.
0: I know. And I actually was like, that's so much better. I mean, plowshares are good, like plant and cultivate. And, but yeah, for yeah. our world today, like turning guns into lawn chairs where we can talk to each other and have community, yes. it's so much better. It's and so you much could better.
1: actually do it.
0: Yeah, you can actually do it. And actually, I think um, they're always sold out, but Shane Claiborne works with a group that um, turns guns into like, garden tools into
1: gardening and, tools yeah yeah yeah, yeah christy has a like, piece from him yeah
0: does she i've tried to buy them but they're always sold out of it because yeah, they're always yeah. just working Oop, on it so anyway well thank you friends for tuning in to pub theology live you can show support for the show by becoming a supporter on patreon get access to pre and post show banter and more visit patreon.com pt live to get started And a big thank you to our current patrons. Listen anytime on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. Our top cities this week are Atlanta, Georgia, Ashburn, Virginia, and Omaha, what I assume is Nebraska. (laughs) You got it. Watch us live Tuesdays on Facebook around 1 1 o'clock p.m. And to find or create a pup theology in your town, learn more at puptheology.com. And until next time, friends, drink responsibly and keep those conversations flowing.
1: Awesome. And scene. So uh, well, we, we've got an open house coming up for Henry, a graduation party. Yeah. So that'll be fun. Uh, we're trying to get the backyard in shape. Uh, it's next Friday. So um, doing some yard work. When's
0: his actual graduation?
1: Uh, Two weeks from today, during my disc golf tournament.
0: (laughs) (laughs) On a Tuesday. Like, we graduated on like a Saturday. A weekend. Friday
1: night. Yeah, a A weekend. weekend. Why would you put that on a Tuesday? No, but very (laughs) exciting, and it will be a bit traumatic to have one out of the house soon.
0: Has he decided? Has he decided where he's going?
1: Yeah, he's going to Michigan Tech University, which is in the Upper Peninsula, Michigan, and it is a nine hour drive.
0: Oh my goodness. (laughs)